Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Asian Cinema Film Club. This is Stephen and I'm here on my own today, but I've got a special guest. I've got Dr. Fraser Elliott. Hello, Fraser. <laughs> Hello, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. And, and thank you for being actually our first non-podcasting special guest ever. Thank so, you for the privilege. That's well, exciting. You've got to earn it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah come report back at the end of the podcast <laughs> and see how you feel. Okay. So the reason I've asked Elliot to join me today is that he is one of the organisers. Is that the right word? Uh, Co-curators, yeah. Co-curator. Oh, that sounds very posh. One of the co-curators of the Taiwan Film Festival Edinburgh 2021, which is about to kick off on the 25th of October for for the following five days. Um, Bit of context. I think the first one was last year in 2020. And I covered some of the films for In Their Own League. Um, last year, obviously, there's a bit of human malware going on. And the festival ended up being online. But I loved it. Obviously, listeners to the show will know how much I love Taiwanese cinema, even if I can't get Elwood to watch it. Um, but what I loved about it was is that it steered away from your know, Edward Yang's, you know, the, not that I don't love them, but there's way more to it. And there's been... There's been some, you know, I've, I've been around the place. There's been odd showings, usually at universities and like where there's been some restored um, films going. But it was lovely and it was fantastic. And it just had a whole bunch of different films that I hadn't seen before. Now, I don't think you were involved last year, Fraser. I think like you, like me, you kind of fell in love with the idea. Am I right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I, I wasn't involved last year. So I was I was based in, in Manchester last year. I've just moved up to Edinburgh quite recently. Uh, so I also attended the festival as a fan, um, which makes me feel comfortable about waxing lyrical about how much I enjoyed it without sounding <laughs> smug because I didn't technically have a hand in it but no I, I had a blast as well and I was so impressed I think exactly as you say it kind of it had that kind of linchpin of the Taiwan new cinema or mm-hmm. new Taiwan cinema it had some uh, Ho Shao Shen I think it had some Edward Yang as well yeah. um, but then it also had this really intimidating and impressive collection of other films that were sort of like you know welcome to the space that you are familiar with a bit but remember, there's a lot of other things going on, or maybe learn that there's a lot of other things going on. Um, I think there was something like 24, 25 films last year. It, it, it was yeah. overwhelming. Uh, yeah. the, the two of us that were covering it, you know, didn't even cover <laughs> I a bet. quarter of it. But having access to the screeners and the like, and you know, sort of the different way things were done last year. You know, I, I snuck in a couple. There were some amazing short films as well. Just things that wouldn't normally get to see. Obviously, in film festivals in the UK. You know, occasionally some Asian films will sneak into the London Film Festival and some of the regional ones. We obviously have the, the Korean London Korean Film Festival, yeah. which is is a big deal, I think, in 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 that circle. But to specialise in Taiwanese films, I found really interesting. Now, 
personally, my interest in Taiwanese cinema comes from my background as a sociologist and a historian. It's it, the, the story of Taiwan in the last hundred years has been one of industrialization, of military governments, of all sorts of terrible and amazing things happening in a very short space of time, leading up to possibly, I would say, the most progressive government in Asia, society in Asia, probably by quite a long way. So the films from that are always imbued with this historical and um, economic and social subtext, far more than maybe, say, the films from Hong Kong are, which, you know, even the even the the slightest rom-com probably references the white terror or something like that somehow yeah. just because of the nature of it what draws you no i think that's, cinema? yeah I, that's so interesting that you mentioned that um i i've already thinking of so many things but i'll respond to the question that you've okay. asked and I, I guess this is where i kind of um after we just talked about moving beyond the Edward Yangs and the Ho Chao Shans of the world, I have to hold my hands up and say, <laughs> actually, it was Edward Yang who drew me to Taiwan cinema. So I was really lucky uh, when I did my undergraduate degree, which was in film uh, and television studies. Um, I did a, a year abroad in Toronto and quickly became one of those really obnoxious people that kept talking about their year, <laughs> year abroad. But while I was there, still doing it now into his 30s, uh, while I was there, there was this Taiwan film festival uh, or to sort of season of Taiwan films that one of my lecturers had programmed. Um, and I remember in class, he was like, we've got some tickets if anyone wants them. And like, no one took them. So I sort of was like, well, of course I'll go. I've always been into like Hong Kong cinema. And at that time, I was really into kind of, you know, your fifth generation on the mainland and those sorts of things. Uh, but I'd never, I don't think I'd ever seen a Taiwan film, um, apart from maybe some sort of Ang Lee co-productions or something like that. Or you get people like um, King Hu, who started on the mainland, made his name in Shaw Brothers in Hong Kong, and then did his best work over in Taiwan. Who's not really Taiwanese at all, but it's all Chinese diaspora stuff. And exactly you get stories yeah. like that, don't you? Yeah, and it's not necessarily packaged to you as a quote-unquote Taiwanese film, so you Absolutely don't maybe pick not. up on it unless you're kind of paying attention. Um, and I loved those films, and I remember seeing Yi Yi, the Edward Yang film. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Um, and I came back to the UK and I remember I wanted to write my dissertation on it um, and it, I couldn't find it on, D- on DVD. So it came out like it was shown in a couple of cinemas, uh, like the ICA in London um, mm-hmm. and a- around the country a little bit. And then it was released on DVD. But it seemed to me like there were maybe like 10 copies printed ever. And I had to pay like an inordinate amount of cash to get it off eBay at the time. Um, so I basically just became super interested in Taiwan cinema as this example of like this incredibly rich filmmaking culture that we get next to no access to um, in the UK. So it started with the films of Edward Yang, but it's kind of sort of moved beyond just whatever I can see, I, th- I think, from, from the region. Um, been really enjoying seeing these Taiwanese language films from the 60s coming through, kind of those yeah. spy thrillers and genre films that I think maybe what you were alluding to when he talks about those university screenings and there's been a few of those um so yeah just for me it's one of those things and as you say it's one of those filmmaking traditions where there's so much to connect to like the context and like Mm. the the politics and the society there's normally like catnip to like film critics and you know like if you get a Japanese film that touches on that everyone at the Guardian and the BFI and Science Sound are going to jump on it um if you get a film from any other part of the world that is like exactly the kind of film that those people love and then it ends up at the festivals and the cinemas but for some reason Taiwan cinema just never got that momentum in the same way 
I don't. I mean, there is a there is a there is a a problem with Taiwan in its its very existence. Yeah, of course. The, U, the UK doesn't even have an embassy in Taiwan. We don't recognise it as a country. About five countries in the world recognise it as a country. Right. Um, I'm sure some of these things play into it that it's actually quite hard for Taiwanese cinema um, to to get at summer festivals and things like that. Unless you find someone who you know someone with a special interest, either a, an ex an ex Taiwanese person or for someone who's studying in London or something like that to yeah. bring it over. So there's all that kind of yeah you know, that Republic of China stuff. You've also I think in recent years you've had the Korean government really strongly pushing their media absolutely yeah. and, and finally it paying off at the oscars with parasite but that is a and i've got a, it's not a conspiracy theory but i have a really strong belief that maybe that wasn't their absolute goal but they really pushed certain directors they've got it out at the festivals the hallyu the, the korean wave obviously across asia and and into america it hasn't really happened over here until very recently. Yeah, and now, now Squid Game. Well, Squid Game, but uh, Parasite. But I've noticed like the BBC website every other week has an article about Korea, Korean music, Korean films. Squid Game obviously is the is the latest thing, which is to me the least Korean drama of all time. <laughs> right, that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I've not watched it. I would say. Oh, whilst it's it's got some of the societal stuff that maybe director Bong might have brought to play now about the wage inequality and the haves and the haves nots. And it's fantastic to see a non-Korean face. There's, there's a guy who plays a Pakistani worker in there, which is amazing, but it's only nine episodes long and there's no enduring love story floating through it where they end up just kissing. It's, it's not like any K drama I've ever seen before. (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. It's something, we were think I've been talking a lot with my partner about this. He's a huge K drama fan, and we're we're thinking about the ways it crosses over with things like Battle Royale and those mm. kind of other East Asian kind of just this homogenous kind of Asian characteristics that have done really well in the UK and America in the past. Absolutely, you know, the whole yeah. the whole J horror, the, yeah, the Asia the, Extreme, the Asian Extreme tar, you know, Tartans label. You know, absolutely. Oh God, don't talk to us about. We just did a chapter by chapter. Um, review of Battle Royale for 25 weeks. But it's not it's not just that. So there's Kingdom as well, which did very well um, over the last couple of years, which again is six episodes, I think, each season. And it's got multiple seasons. Yeah. That just yeah. doesn't happen in K-drama. Yeah. So Netflix have cleverly been able to repackage something quite exotic mm-hmm. in another way. And, and it's like you were saying, you know, again, you were talking about Japanese cinema having that kind of instant cachet with 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 critics. Yeah. And Tony Sun, you know, we've we've gone a long way round away from Taiwan. I'm bringing us back again. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, yeah. I just think I just think it's fascinating, and the fact that there is this whole almost lost era, yeah. pre 1980, I think yeah. that that we just never get to see. You know, there's there's loads of Japanese and mainland Chinese films that have been you know maybe maybe lots of them have been lost but you know like you think about like springtime in a small town or something like that which must be on at the BFI every other week (laughs) (laughs) you know there's nothing like that from Taiwan we just don't think of it and of course the other floor is that it sounds like Thailand that's that's so true yeah I've met so many Taiwanese people who have said oh it's not Thailand (laughs) and you're always like well 
I, I know, you know, I've watched it, but it, it's definitely, it's clearly a thing because it's mentioned so often. Um, mm. I think you've just sort of reminded me um, not to kind of fall into a plug for the festival. But no, no, part, this is all about plug for the festival. So but, for it. <laughs> but, you know, part of the festival, we've got those Taiwanese language films of the 1960s. Um, so things like The Best Secret Agent, which is a Taiwanese language spy film, spy thriller, perhaps the first Taiwanese language spy film. Uh, my favourite title of the season, Foolish Bride, Naive Bridegroom, which I think mm. is just excellent, uh, and Dangerous Youth. And these are all films that have been restored by the Taiwan Film and Audiovisual Institute. And I think that's something that's so interesting. I think when we mentioned Springtime in a Small Town and maybe some of those films, they've got this huge, you know, institutional backing from places in Shanghai, places in Beijing. Obviously, the Hong Kong has the film archive who are really great at sort of pushing Hong Kong film. And obviously it took a long time for that to be founded. I can't remember the exact date, but it's not that old an institution, the Hong Kong Film Archive. And I feel like Taiwan now is seeing a kind of a similar push from sort of cultural funding opportunities and in institutions. So they've been really helpful with the Taiwan Film Festival Edinburgh, but also the Film Institute, which is now the Film and Audiovisual Institute, which is doing all this work of restoring it. And they actually call it, you know, Taiwan's lost commercial cinema uh, and it's yes. all about kind of like reclaiming that and being like hey look at all this stuff that's going on you know you know the the, the spy films of hong kong the kind of shaw brothers and japanese co-productions of hong kong you know the kind of crime thrillers and the, the melodramatic rom-coms from hong kong but hey taiwan you know also is doing it bridget lynn, bridget lynn. Taiwan, all this stuff so like um, there's a lot going on there and it's really like it's like a, you get a sigh of relief isn't it <laughs> like we can finally see these films and they're subtitled in English and we can access them yeah yeah I mean especially I mean you did mention you know that that's right because that are in Taiwanese which mm. you know we're, we're used to, people who like Hong Kong cinema there's always the oh is it in Cantonese is it in Mandarin well actually mate they're all in Mandarin because <laughs> and, and you were lucky to get Cantonese versions of them but um and to hear Taiwanese spoken, really unusual. Yeah. Really unusual. And, you know, written down, it's the same characters and, and the like. But to hear it spoken, um, yeah, the, 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 best, the best secret agent, number one, is, yeah. is, is, is a favourite one. And that's one of the films I've reviewed for in the only. Oh, fantastic. You know, the it's, a I, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, if you can't guess who that, who, who the who who it is in the second reel by the f end of the first reel, you're a moron. But it doesn't yeah, the best, matter. The best in the titles may be doing a lot of work. <laughs> I think it is. Um, and you know, and you can also see, you know, look, the first couple of minutes are really grainy and horrible, but then suddenly, bang! It looks like it was made maybe 20 years ago and not. Yeah. Get on for 80, you know? Yeah, you get the best of both worlds, don't you? You get that sort of uh, sense that you are watching a historical artifact that's a bit sort of scratchy, and you can kind of you see that it's been put through this restoration process, but then you also just get the really nice quality sort of stuff going on, which I think is really nice to see. And like you say, the, I think Taiwanese language, you know, we, we're thinking around the sort of thorny political situation. Mm. Just like in Hong Kong, like the Cantonese language films that were made principally in Cantonese, have a very different tone to the Mandarin language. And the Taiwanese language films, I think, function very similarly in Taiwan in some ways. They they kind of occupy their own sort of cultural space, as it yeah, were. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. Now, I have a question. You mentioned you kind of got into it by seeing films in Canada. Now, Canada has a huge Asian um, sort of immigrant. It's, it's not even that, is it? People 
send their kids off to Canada to yeah and a huge to, yeah it's big sort of Hong Kong diaspora and and yeah China. yeah yeah absolutely so, so so I get that I get why there was a Taiwanese film festival in in Toronto I think you said yes yeah yeah um, yeah that makes absolute sense to me Edinburgh yeah yeah <laughs> how how has that come about so um this is another sort of option for some plugs i think, <laughs> I think with mine so the kind of director or the kind of founder and, and, and lead curator of the festival is uh lu kwan ping who started it last year with uh, her colleague chu yi che and they're still kind of the sort of lead curators co-curators of the festival and this year they brought myself um, and Matthew Carter, who runs the East Asian Cinema History Channel on YouTube, um, they brought us on. So we're kind of a bit of a curation collective now. Uh, but Edinburgh, you know, is a real festival city. There's a lot going on here, mm, sort of film yeah. culture. <laughs> Very famous festival. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, a festival that had, I mean, I'm projecting, I don't think this was the reason, but at least in, in the 80s was kind of vital for the Taiwan New Wave and some more of those sort of Chinese language films, uh, particularly like Yellow Earth and stuff. The Edinburgh International Festival was one of the first steps on the global trajectory of those things. Yeah. So, um, so Quan Ping, who sort of founded the festival, uh, actually graduated from the program that I now teach on at the university, which is film exhibition and curation. So she, as far as I'm aware, she may correct me on this, but was doing a lot of curation work around Edinburgh anyway uh, on Taiwanese language films. So um, something that I'm learning, I'm new to the city, but something that I'm learning about Edinburgh is there was just a load of spaces. I think it's related to the fringe uh, where you can kind of, you know, show films, lots of really cool informal spaces in a bar that'll have like a projector that maybe yeah. in other cities isn't as easy to find. So she was showing lots of, sort of Taiwan films off her own back, kind of bringing them in. And I think this caught the attention of the Ministry of Culture and Ta uh, Taiwan Ministry of Culture and their kind of folks who are based in London. Um, and there are there are there are people we've worked with before uh, in my previous post in Manchester at, at home cinema. Um, they're really supportive of screening Taiwan films in the UK. So like we were saying about kind of restoring this kind of this push. Um, and I think they saw what she was doing and thought, you know, this is great. Can we help? Um, and with that additional support, uh, Quamping was able to kind of expand it and go from screening kind of in one-off places every so often to this hugely impressive festival last year uh, with you know 25 30 films as part of it um, and I think what's quite interesting is initially the plan last year was it for it to be in person like a like a film most film festivals would be and then obviously Covid happened and folks like yourself and me based outside of Edinburgh suddenly got access to this amazing festival um, so it's still based in Edinburgh, but obviously we still have the online portion. And I think the Ministry of Culture are also working with pockets around the country. Yes. Uh, but it definitely emerged out of that work that Quan Ping was already doing uh, here in Edinburgh. So that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, which you've nicely led me on to my next question. Is, you know, I, we've clearly both been to film festivals before and been through, you know, not just Asian film festivals, but I'm sure you've been to all kinds of film festivals and the whole drag that it can be <laughs> sure yeah um and for us we've you know in the league we've 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 been covering a lot of different festivals around the world in the last 18 months or so that have moved to an online model yeah. you know um one of our one of our other podcasts on, on in the league um was one of our writers went to sundance for the first time it's just you went there and lived it and that was the subject of the podcast like this adventure yeah um, obviously last year online yes. um and 
this for me you know this is brilliant i, I mean i it's, edinburgh isn't that far away from where i'm in the south of england it would be it would be possible but it would be a commitment of time yeah and, and expense, whole, and expense. Yeah. being able to do it online is amazing um yeah okay so it's not big cinema screens and things like that but yeah we've all got, we've all got big tvs and they believe <laughs> exactly yeah. pages and stuff. Every, everything everything's possible somehow <laughs> but do you think do you think that film festivals will ever go back do you think that online will now always be part of this because of the audience it can reach i kind of hope they they stay a bit hybrid to be honest mm. um for those reasons that you said I, th- I think they will mostly go back for like a few reasons i think you know we saw that thing didn't we of sort of like um sales agent anxiety i guess that people weren't mm. putting their films into festivals so i also sort of quote unquote went to sundance this year and i know there was a lot of talk there about how it wasn't that the films there weren't the same kind of not quality but the same kind of they didn't have the same reputation perhaps going into the festival as previous years because you know sales agents and film directors were hesitant about piracy or anyone around the world can watch this so I think there's that reason and and I think there is also the kind of you know the event status of the festival and the the fact that the festival often is like an economic boom for the city uh, as much as actually the films themselves so I think, I mean, it's not a film festival, but like, you know, the Edinburgh Fringe is responsible for a lot of the city's economy <laughs> that keeps the city running year round. So I think, yeah. I think there probably will be. Uh, but for me, and it is fun, like, it's fun, like to go to those festivals and like travel. I, I feel incredibly like uh, the, when I've been to festivals, I've been to the Hong Kong Festival a couple of times. And every time I'm like, I spend most of the time pinching myself, just like just this overwhelming gratitude and privilege. It, yeah. yeah um, and you do sort of miss that a little bit. So I think that will come back. But for me, I think, well, accessibility has been incredible. You know, people that maybe can't go to the cinema for whatever reason. I think it's incredible that, that, that those films are now open to them. Folks like us who maybe don't live in the city, it's been incredible. But also just like you can watch a lot more films. <laughs> Like, you can at your yeah. own that that's the challenge you're going to a film festival it's like you've got to plan your day well i really want to see this film which means i've got to be there in 10 minutes yeah. time the ones in london are just mental and, <laughs> and i just i don't fundamentally exactly. i look at yeah. it and i go actually i just want to see those two you know, yeah i'm very lucky i'll get free tickets to it but i've got to write an article about it boohoo me but <laughs> i won't i won't really necessarily i'm not i'm not, I'm not consuming the festival maybe in the same way as some people totally. are yeah and there's um, some being able, well just being able to watch a film at two o'clock in the morning when i can't sleep yeah, yeah sure. or 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 whatever you know just be able to consume things at my own pace um be able to visit a whole strand that maybe i'm interested in i mean i'm yeah. big on documentaries again we haven't spoken about it yet but you've got some you've, i've only watched one so far but the documentary I've watched it's a 20 minute short film it's like my film of the year oh amazing fantastic <laughs> the, the, the uh, Taipei morning a morning in Taipei yes I thought it might be that that yeah. is fantastic that's just that just appeals to me as a historian as a sociologist as all these other things it's just yeah. amazing but you know I wouldn't have gone to see that on its own as a 20 minute thing now, yeah. I'm sure it would have been shown as a collection of short films and yeah who knows yeah so so I, I agree with you i think there's two worlds i think there's that commercial world of course there is where people are trying to sell films are trying yeah. to get distribution deals etc cetera, etc cetera. but then there's this what this is doing is something a bit different and you know it, you, you you'll 
it's more of a celebratory more of a museum almost like a virtual museum yes. that, that exists for a week where i don't know if bums on seats is as, as vital obviously you need funding but yeah you can you could there are other ways of making money out of it i'm sure yeah. um but then when you said you know actually going to see watching films in different spaces as well that's kind of exciting as well outside of the cinema experience yeah true and and when you were talking there about seeing you know a short film you it reminded me of that earlier when you mentioned last year's short films at the taiwan film festival at edinburgh where you normally there'd be a package but you can kind of just dip in while you're having your lunch or something online and see a 15 minute film they kind of i guess the physical version of that is like you say oh, i need to get a train to go to that part of town i can't be bothered uh, but oh look the cinema is playing something next as part of the festival so I'll just stay and watch that and maybe yeah. that's a whole new thing um, but I think the the fact that last year's festival moved online and maybe again I'm projecting but I think that was why there could be so many films on it I mm. think you, you couldn't have a 30 film sort of introduction to the world of Taiwan cinema in person because I mean, a that's exhausting, um, <laughs> and b like yeah. find a cinema that will give you thirty slots over a two week period in October, when that's also when all the big new releases are coming out in the, you know the art house film circuit. That's also when the London Film Festival's happening. That's also when the London Korean Festival's happening. Japanese Touring Film Foundation, all horror festivals, Black horror History festivals, Month. Yeah. It's like you just couldn't do it without a mammoth task of corralling 50 cinemas around a city um, and even then as an audience member you just wouldn't have been able to go to it so I think for me I thought last year's festival was a really cool example of like how to use that online space for something pretty unique like you said sorry unique I can't say pretty unique um uh like it's an absolute the, in itself it's, yes. exactly <laughs> I can hear my dad like behind me as I said that um yeah that like you could sit back and, like, yeah like you say I think a museum is a really cool way of thinking about it of just like picking and choosing from all these films and just having a really good encyclopedic introduction um mm. to those films yeah I mean don't get me wrong I'd love to go and see Taipei Story on a big screen oh, for yeah, sure that, you know that that's that's great but being able to see some of this other stuff which actually you know some of this restored stuff might not look so great actually on a on a giant screen you know the, the imperfections may put the casual observer off true yeah um yeah. i was just having a look what is on um so the yeah. other thing which appealed to me um you know you talked about all these other events going on well the cop 26 is going on in glasgow at the moment yeah. and um which is sort of a, an environmental conference so all the big countries and and, and people there yeah driving their teslas to the yeah, yeah <laughs> telling lies about what they're gonna do Absolutely. Um, but you have branched out and are screening a couple of films with an environmental bent in glasgow itself at this period which i think is again really interesting yeah, so it's a really kind of exciting thing this year is that we are able to, as you said, do both the online and the in-person. So we didn't want to get rid of the online um, for a variety of reasons. So the majority of the films are online. But yeah, we have so we have three in-person screenings. Uh, we have one in Edinburgh, which we can maybe touch on later on. But yep. yeah, we have these two documentaries screening at the GFT, the Glasgow Film Theatre, uh, on I think the 25th and the 30th of the month of October. Um, That's right. So yeah, coincide with COP26. So one is called Sacred Forest, which is a documentary about a kind of cypress forest in Taiwan. And then one is Whale Island, which is about the sea and like 
possibilities that that might be a space that we need to move to at some point so um we thought it was a really nice pairing of films to well really fantastic to collaborate with the gft really fantastic to kind of integrate the taiwan film festival at edinburgh into something else going on but also kind of in those two documentaries you know kind of forests mountains and the sea that's kind of some of taiwan's mm. kind of unique selling, <laughs> selling points so that's kind well, of so, so so people who haven't been to taiwan it's this I've only been the once, but I want to go more. It's like one of my favourite places in the world. But you have this, 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 this complete separate up in the. I think it's the north. I don't, I'm never too sure how globes work, but in the north you have like tai, Taipei, New Taipei City, and and places like Xuchin, which are, they know they're like Western cities, frankly. Big old cities, but, yeah. Yeah, in fact, and and they're very they're very um they're, they're very different to Hong Kong. They're very different to. To, to like mainland Chinese cities because they're relatively new and they've got these great big wide streets and they you know you go to Hong Kong you know you see more looking up than you do looking forward <laughs> absolutely um but the vast majority of it is this island and it's, it's, I think is the island about as big as the UK or bigger I can't remember they're um, about it's, yeah it's not I don't think there's too much difference in it to be honest yeah but, uh, it, but sure. it's it, it's like everyone lives in Inverness <laughs> And, yeah. and 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 almost the rest of the country down to Brighton is this amazing wilderness of of, of forests and jungles. I think it's got all kinds of different. I think it might even have multiple different habitats. And the mm. sea is hugely important. I mean, you'll see that in a lot of the lot of the movies, just like Japan, I suppose. It's a, it's an island nation, and yeah, and the sea means a lot to it. And and there's these amazing train journeys you can go on, and 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 it's 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 a really fascinating geography there's another one i'm bringing yeah i'm bringing but... up the science today <laughs> <laughs> that's just what the taiwan film festival edinburgh brings a whole <laughs> host of uh, options yeah, um, i just thought that was really a really cool thing to do if i if i'm a 50 year old man can say cool absolutely yeah um to, and, and to be able to tie it in and just funny that you mentioned um all those other kind of film festivals that are going on at the same time yeah I'm glad that was something that sort of appeals to you and it was exciting to you. I think that was like quite important for us to show that side of Taiwan. And, you know, there's something that I noticed the festival did last year. And it's something that in sort of some of my previous experience at other cinemas we've often been thinking about doing is kind of showcasing, you know, like indigenous populations in Taiwan mm. as well, because there is a big diverse indigenous population and community in Taiwan. So um, that was, I guess, more of a focus last year uh, than this year in, in, in a, a sort of a larger sense. Um, but again, those aspects of Taiwan that we don't maybe get to see because we do the Taiwan we do see or that the Taiwan new wave. Obviously, you had Ho Shao Shen's kind of countryside focus at times. Mm. But there's a lot of it was the kind of urban spaces, wasn't it? And we're showing Taipei story, which is obviously very much about Taipei and, Ta and the kind of urban spaces. But the picture we get of Taiwan is a very urban one quite often, I think. So it's quite I nice think, to have that reminder. I, I think so. I mean, I, I always feel my knowledge of Tony cinema always comes back to Edward Yang. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and it's always about this... Um, this, this this dissonance with the new um that that, so that urban spaces but these these people just aren't used to living in these spaces that, yeah. that, that as a society that, that they weren't this isn't like they haven't come out of caves and moved on you know this they, they, but lots of things happened at the same time the massive so you know they they they've they've been there's a japanese um mm -hmm. occupation they got 
pushed into, you know, someone my age, everything was made in Taiwan. Right, For that, sure. was the thing. Yeah. that was the thing. I, I don't think it's quite so true now. Everything's now made in China, but made yeah, in Taiwan absolutely. was a thing. Um, and and then these and then the city sort of grew up, but they grew up very differently. Again, you know, again, I'm not an expert at this, but that's just my vision mm-hmm. being around the world and seeing, you know, mostly most cities, other than those strange planned ones like Brasilia and Canberra. And Washington yeah. DC indeed as well. Interesting. And other than them, cities are organic and they grow up. And yeah, whereas, yeah. whereas you 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 go to New Taipei City and it and it's like a planned community, <laughs> but with loads of Chinese people running around doing lots of traditional Chinese stuff as well. But those Edward Yang movies are, you know, that they're set in a very specific period of time. Mm-hmm. We haven't even talked about the political horrors that were going on at the time. You For know, sure. yeah. Um, and but there's this, but there's also a kind of Western bent to it as well, I guess. Um, I'm assuming the Americans were in in and around there. I know that um, American <clears throat> culture very much was. You know, Brighter Summer's Day is is based on a definitely you know, an Elvis lyric, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the title is. No, um, I think that that's yeah, absolutely. And I think like again, you've 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 queued me up for a plug, which I'm ever grateful for <laughs> for the festival. But that was something that, you know, when we were thinking about the curation theme, we were thinking about the films, we were thinking about how do we understand Taiwanese cinema. It is these films that are all about disruption and and change and transformation. So like you're saying there, it's about adjusting to this urban life or it's about adjusting to how the cities are developing or that kind of growing influence of American culture and politics. Um, Yeah, just kind of changing geopolitical things, but it's always, you know, how it comes down to the actual lived experience as you might say of the people who live in Taiwan at the time or in Taipei or Tainan or those sorts of things um, so we were very much aware of that when we were thinking of the curation sort of theme for the festival we were thinking this is obviously most people's route in is Edward Yang and Ho Chao Shen uh, so we were kind of like what is kind of how can we continue people down that path but open the path wider and kind of link into these other things so kind of the theme across the festival is this theme of disruption and transformation and that kind of means a lot of things it's a nice kind of loose curation theme so it might mean socially and politically uh, it might mean generationally so we've got peony bird screening the huang yushan film which is very much about like generational conflict and the other changes one I, there. the other one i reviewed oh fantastic <laughs> you've managed you've managed to pick them both <laughs> almost, it's almost like we planned it and we didn't plan it uh, no <laughs> it's absolutely synchronicity in action perfect yeah female um, filmmaker Again, yes. How many Asian? Let's just just bring it out. As Anhui. Yeah. Next. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? we? So, like, we um, have done quite a bit with Hong Kong cinema in in Manchester, and there's a lot of we've done a lot on sort of like Angie Chen, sort of uh, Mabel oh. Chung, Clara Law, Jesse Tang. There's you know there's a the Hong Kong cinema is held up by women, basically, effectively. <laughs> in many ways it, it, it um, is but they're not names that absolutely. we know and yeah. actually what i find is quite often what you find is that they're more involved in production mm-hmm. um and that well, rather than sort of directing they're they're they're, 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 they're the money yeah um and, 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 and maybe they're ex-actresses who married a rich businessman and then they take all his money and they invest it back i mean i know that's a terrible thing to say and i'll get <laughs> but it's kind of true <laughs> and, you look you look at how many Hong Kong actresses, IMDb says actress producer. So true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those that have directed, again, I think this is going back to thinking about like where those films first came through, you know, the festivals, the 
the kind of film critics and, and kind of what they were doing in the 70s and 80s it was very male dominated space mm. and like the um the films that came through were kind of that like autumn man you know the male genius so I, i've said kurosawa before but i think even edward yang ho Shao shen um timing yang you know soy hak i don't know one car why it's all it's all men um and i think what is sad about that is there's so many contributions by women whether it is producing production or whether it is directing uh, and actually that was something that sort of came naturally in the curation process when we got together and we were we basically kind of suggested films that we thought would work films that would be interesting and when we were thinking of possibly changing the theme <laughs> we had these conversations of like these films are all like a lot of them are about the experience of being a woman in taiwan or they are made by women but we were like, that's maybe that's not a theme for a festival. It's just like women. Um, but we do have three films directed by women. We have Huang Yushan, uh, Zero Chow, and a Swiss filmmaker called Nicola Vogel. Might maybe pronouncing her name wrong, but I think I'm pronouncing everybody's name wrong. So I, I apologize, <laughs> uh, apologize that, for that. You're on, you're on brand for the show. <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, but then the films as well, like The Personals, which is one of one of my choices for the festival, which has Rennie Liu in and is all about her experience of trying to find a husband. Um, we're quite kind of sort of glad that we're not just kind of diversifying people's opinion beyond the kind of Taiwan new cinema, but also kind of like shining a light on, you know, there's quite a lot going on here with women filmmakers and, and stars and, and crew and producers and all these sorts of things. So I'm glad that's something that you picked up on um, when you were looking at the films. As well. I, I mean, it's, it's funny that something me and Elle would have been talking that my other, the, the, yes, the other yeah, yeah. The show. I, I, we're, we're talking about, we, um, I can't remember what film it is we were looking at, but it had a female director. And I was just like, how unusual is that? And then, you know, like I say, Anhui is probably in that list with those names that you That's talked it. about. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that probably is known outside, you know, maybe only in in our circles, mate. Yeah. But, in, but, you know, it, that, yeah, yeah. That, that I and I was struggling. And there's, 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 you're right. There's people here and there. The independent scene. And, of course, we look at people, someone like Kathy Yan, who mm. went from making weird old films in China to making the Harley Quinn movie? Yeah, um, so, yeah, so true. Like, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> How did yeah. that happen? Yeah. Um, the Oscar this year was won by somebody who is Chinese, I think, even though she yeah. was sort of film educated in the States. Um, yeah. I can't remember. So is that Claire, yeah. Claire Zhao? Chloe. Chloe. Yeah. Chloe. That's, I knew yeah. it was a. A, C. A, a ridiculously English sounding name with but with a German name with umlauts yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so they do exist but they but the only one I could think with a solid body of work was Anne Hui you know you could do a you could do a festival on her films alone couldn't you yeah um, no I think that's so that I, I fully agree and I think so I'm very much in my kind of with my academic hat on I'm very interested in sort of circulation so my kind of sort of uh what do you call it like what's the soapbox is always that there's all kinds of films we made all the time but the kind of you know the bottleneck is that circulation that distribution the festivals those sorts of things um and i fully agree that it's like anhoi and then you're out uh, for the most mm. part when it comes to speaking to sort of most people about these films and I have to hold my hand up and say she's also the filmmaker, the sort of woman director I'm most familiar with as well. I, don't, um, I think it's, I think, I think it's about availability. I think, exactly. I think there have been films that she has done, um, both that have been commercially successful in as insofar as a Chinese language film can be commercially successful. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
Um, yeah. And I think that's why I'm I'm really quite, again, grateful and feel quite privileged to be involved in the festival this year, because I think you're right, it's about availability. So to be able to kind of put these films into a festival and then, you know, thus make them available uh, and the fact that they're online as well, available countrywide kind of feels like hopefully some kind of corrective measure in that regard. Um, and we've also got, we, we've got, we've managed to get some of the directors to uh, speak to us, I think, for some sort of interviews that will be on, on the website. Um, I think that may still be TBC, um, but... Yeah, I was, I was, I was looking around. I'm, I'm guessing lots of things are going to go live on Monday. Yes, yes. Yeah, so when the festival starts, we do have an interview with uh, Wang Tong, the director of Hill of No Return, um, who is one of those directors like who has been very overshadowed by the other folks of the the new wave and things um and my co-curator or our co-curator matt carter is like a huge fan and can't quite believe that we got not just the film hill of no return but also a q a with him uh, and that's going to be going live on the digital platform as well during the festival itself so definitely check in during the week to see so some kind of additional things right. Yeah, we better advertise the website. <laughs> <laughs> but you just again, and this is all this is all live, guys. And um, when it is to us, <laughs> um, but you just told I hadn't noticed there was um, a film with Renny Liu in it. <laughs> I'm yeah, huge fan. And um, oh god, I'm gonna have to ask for the screen. Of... <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just watch it with everybody else. Just watch it on the website. Yeah, it's that is my. I mean, just throwing all my cards out the arrogance that was my choice one of my choices yes. um oh. i think that film is really it's so good so it's a film about a a woman an ophthalmologist who uh sort of decides that she she wants to find a husband at that at this point in her life she's a very successful career um person and she sort of decides that this is the road she wants to go down and it's 1998 so there's like no tinder there's no bumble there's no plenty of fish.com there must have been some equivalent but um I think there's the personal ads in the newspaper. There's the personal ads in the newspaper, which is exactly what she goes and does. I'm showing my age now, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) So she, yeah, she puts an ad, I think, in kind of, it's, I think it's quite an unusual thing to do in that sort of time and space. So she puts an ad in the newspaper and the whole film is basically just a procession of her dates with like ridiculous men. (laughs) And some of them are like, just so toe-killingly awkward. Some of them are like really sweet but it's that thing where you get you get like a if you want to put your kind of academic hat on, you can say it like gives you this really great impression of sort of Taiwan at the time, gender roles. Um, these different people come from different parts of society, office workers, you know, um, shop workers. If you want to take that hat off, it's just a pretty good film to watch for a couple of hours. I mean, it it, it, it sounds like a Hong Kong film. The premise sounds yeah. like a Hong Kong film, and it would you know, I can imagine who it would star, and it would have a whole bunch of jokes I wouldn't understand because so much of Hong Kong comedy is based on the on on the Cantonese language and yeah. how some words sound a bit rude, yeah, but they exactly. don't to us. Yeah. Uh, or, or there's a lot of toilet humour and things like that. So I'm not I'm not that aware of uh, again. And going back to how our show works, Elwood brings all these amazing cult films and, and kaiju films and um, martial arts movies, and they're all fantastic. My interest is in rom-coms Me and too. in yeah. dramas. And, and you know the sorts of films we get? They do it as well, but we don't get to see it because Takashi Miike hasn't made it yet, or <laughs> yeah. he probably has, actually, to be fair. But, you know, everything's got to be extreme or Kurosawa. Yes. And there's films like this which sounds just right up my bloody street <laughs> by a director. I like the message. I did the same director who did the message, which is yeah. a fantastic 
uh, spy thriller. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tying it all back. And Rennie Lou is is like this again. People will, probably won't know her, but she's a uh, she's one of these all singing, all dancing, multifaceted stars. She does albums. She does TV. She does <laughs> cinema. She does yeah. probably. I mean, she's probably not anymore, but she probably does photo books where she's dressed yeah. up nice. You know that. You have that same kind of celebrity culture in Taiwan as you do in Hong Kong, very much yeah. so. Um, and, and she is one of those faces of it. I mean, she's been in some some of my favourite movies, actually. So, oh, amazing. Well, do yeah. I not know this film? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing. And it played at Cannes when it came out um, as well. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it was kind of... It was a thing when it came out, but very quickly and sort of, sort of faded a bit. So it fits our kind of MO of, you know, like, trying to raise awareness about these films that have maybe slipped off. And, yeah, like, Rene Liu... I think maybe known to people through her films with Sylvia Chang, so perhaps the other big sort of Chinese language woman director uh, that we both forgot to mention earlier on. But, but, she, yeah, but who was an actress first, of course? Very true, yeah. yeah. Um, and we get the kind of a different side of Rene Lu. So it's it's kind of occupies. It's the films that I love. I think Stephen, you and I have a lot in common. I'm also really into these rom coms. Um, <laughs> and you know, like that thing of. Yeah, Johnny Toe makes some pretty good gangster movies. No, no, it's makes, the one, it, it's, it's the romantic comedies that fund the gangster exactly. movies. Exactly, yeah, like, yeah. Like, they break my heart and things like Love that. Love on a Diet, get yeah. Andy Lau oh. in a fat suit, um, need it, all those sorts of things. Um, and I think this film, The Personals, is like, it's got one foot in that, but it's also, it does have one foot in kind of more of Chen's kind of new way, new, new Taiwan cinema sensibilities. So it's got, it's not like, a, it's not a raucous laugh out loud comedy. And There's it's a bit really social loved, commentary in bit there. Of commentary, really nicely shot. Re- it's it's quite a kind of gentle film. Really, really nicely shot. Um, it's just like a real pleasure to watch. Like, um, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. You'll have to get back in touch after you well, watch it. Yeah, um, well, well, we're friends well, now. I've decided. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You can you can sub for me, frankly, on the show. <laughs> no one yeah, will know. Love no on a diet. The difference. Week. It's like the younger me with with a doctor. Uh, sort of regret at the front of your name. It's brilliant. I was going to ask, have you got any particular favours? Is there anything, if someone's only got one shot and you're not allowed to choose the personal side? Yeah, I was just going to, yeah. If, if they've got one film, maybe one from, and I, again, maybe this is an unfair question, but maybe one from the fiction, one from the non-fiction. Yeah. You'd suggest someone would... um give a try if you don't know, you know obviously you're listening to this show you're going to be interested in asian cinema mm. all right so you don't have to go too far but yeah. maybe something um that maybe just the you know the the average takashi Miike fan wouldn't have necessarily known about mm. but uh, gives, gives you gives you absolutely a sense of taiwan ooh, a sense of taiwan so I, I've just I've just changed the whole. You changed thing, the question I? before you oh. said the last bit. I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I I'm gonna you know, completely. The twice. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll do that thing. Whatever question Q&A. you want. <laughs> you do that thing you see at Q and A's where people don't like the question, they just tell you what they want to say. So, um, I I was just thinking the best secret agent as you were talking there. To be honest, I think sort of a lot of what we've been talking about today, and a lot of kind of the the kind of impetus of the festival in that kind of like, you know, here's what is going on in Taiwan that you might not be aware of. And I think we have such a rigid view so often in the UK of Taiwan cinema as that kind of intellectual art house 80s output that I think people might watch The Best Secret Agent and go, 
what what is this <laughs> what is this this is not what i expected it's a taiwanese language film it's from the 60s but it's really good fun and it does kind of hit a lot of points so if you are a takeshi Miike fan if you are a fan of the shaw brothers there's things in there that i think you can probably pull from yeah it was it um, was made in the 60s but it's set in the 30s i think so yeah, yeah. so it's sort of just after the sino japanese japanese war which I know we have a very Western view of how the Second World War worked, but that was sort yeah. of going on at the same time. And that's why the Japanese joined the Second World War. And this isn't a history podcast, but yeah, yeah. But that's what you're into. Early, early, yeah. early 40s. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and what I will say is I can't remember the name of the lead actress, um, but if you liked Maggie Chung in In the Mood for Love, she's got some kipos that kipos that 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 almost matched that just sadly in black and white and i'm desperate to know what <laughs> color, but she, she's got this i mean she's just utterly gorgeous woman in these tight-fitting chinese dresses with a long cigarette on the end of a long yeah, the cigarette holders cigarette yeah. holder which is you know God, we don't even see cigarettes in films anymore although you see them a lot of this film festival because yeah. every time i watch everyone's so true. Away. That you've, you've you've struck our secret curation strand. Well done. No, you get the get the awards. I think it's just Asia for you. They haven't really caught up with the six smoking is bad for you. <laughs> but yeah, and it's and it's not a. It advertises itself as a James Bond spy film or something like that. No, it's not that at all. It's 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 all set in mostly a single location, and it's just it's characters interacting with each yeah. other, and it's it's and there's humor and there's melodrama and there's a mystery of sorts to solve um and then there's an ending rip straight from casablanca but and it's also it's, it's, it's a remake of a of a chinese film isn't it it is yeah which i think came out closer to the time it was set um, yes absolutely. again this but, is this is matthew carter my co-curator this is his mo so i, I won't sort of step on his toes and pretend uh, right. that I would Fan, it's a fantastic choice and yeah, I, I I'd agree with you. If I if I wasn't going to say I'll go and watch, go and watch Taipei Story, <laughs> which is the easy way of doing it. Um. So yeah, I I I think that's I think that's a fine choice. Hey, thank you. I'm glad you approve. Um, as if it matters. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Your podcast, and I would I would throw out as well as a non-fiction one actually that well if you're in person and able to go and see it at the summer hall in edinburgh we're doing kind of a double bill of a morning in taipei and then also some eight millimeter kind of home movies from deng man guang um i think they will both be online as well morning in taipei definitely will but it's the the eight millimeter movies are super interesting because they're from between 1935 and 1941 so they kind of it's about 50 minutes long and it's a collection of kind of short home movies made under Japanese occupation. So it's kind of like just what life was like under Japanese I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm going to push Morning in Taipei as well. I just thought yes. that was brilliant. And what I also love was, and, and I had to go back and, and luckily it's mentioned on the website, but the, the music. So it's a modern, it's a silent yes. movie. And, and, and um, I forget the name of the person who's put. Uh, Ed, Young yeah. Has done. There's yeah. this there's this soundtrack to it which kind of mixes classic classical Chinese instrumentation with modern electronica with bleeps and blops yeah. you know something Brian Eno would have been proud of <laughs> and it just works wonderfully I want that soundtrack yeah I, I mean, again maybe maybe you've just put this festival on for me maybe and it's sounding just, like it. it's yeah. just ticking all these boxes <laughs> and and to see 
1960s Taipei just at this literally the morning but then you'll see all these things and you'll say oh why are the women working in a factory why are the postmen men so you can have this kind of gender discussion and then you can say why they're wearing the same uniform why why um all those bicycles which of course now would just be all be mopeds but it's 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 it, it looks like it looks you know you compare it to something similar hong kong in the 60s i don't know i'm gonna say i'm gonna quote a, i'm gonna reference a film which probably we shouldn't anymore but the world of Susie wong yeah, is yeah. set in pretty much the same time and this it's in color and it's a and it's a fiction film yeah. but that hong kong looks nothing like this yeah this and, taipei city world yeah and so many um, of those films were you know studio shot or you know set in the distant past or set on the mainland or set somewhere else that actually kind of it reminds me a bit of like um you know whole fan the kind of um photographer the kind of hong kong photographer who took those really famous like high contrast black and white photos of hong kong in the 50s who i learned a few months ago then went on to make loads of softcore porn for the show but um (laughs) he that kind of sense of you know you're 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 going on the street and you're seeing what life was actually like there um is just it's one of the things that i guess must may have felt really mundane at the time other than kind of having the opportunity to film this stuff on the eight it kind of camera. looks a bit like a home but, movie but yeah clearly some shots are set up yeah <laughs> there's the whole thing with the, the girl going to school and the mother then goes to the local market and then you see the girl at school later on so some of this clearly is, yeah some of this is, is is you know it's not a it, it doesn't sound like the, the other side of it which you've just mentioned those eight millimeter films which are clearly very much off the cuff kind of yeah, recording absolutely. um definitely and also that one has um a live music uh, the live one um by rory green who is like an experimental uh, musician from glasgow so we've got that similar kind of I, I just love that i love you know silent silent films where you turn it into a bit more of an event by adding some like because that's what but that's yeah. what silent movies were silent movies exactly. used to have an orchestra or yeah. at least someone playing the piano at the very least you know Absolutely. i've been to see like buster keaton films at the bfi and you think oh god i wish you had a yeah at least a string quartet or somebody's yeah. or somebody with a piano by just just Something. playing along with it yeah. would have been great and and but but just, it's just but you know it's just to sort of tie it up it's that mix of we talked about this 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 nation that's been rushed into industrialization this mix of very traditional chinese stuff yeah there's 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 pagodas rubbing up against concrete buildings there's um and 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 also again something else you don't see a lot of there's a scene where you start off at a buddhist temple then you go Mm -hmm. to a mosque and then you go to a catholic church yeah and i cannot think that wouldn't happen in a in a Hong Kong film, you don't meet anybody who's That's not true. from Hong Kong or the mainland. Yeah, and if you and do, I, they're probably the butt of a joke. Absolutely. And yeah. um, I'd I, 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 I never even thought there were Muslims in taiwan i think that's that's really i'm really sort of glad to hear you know that's the i guess the again that mo of the festival is kind of yeah. like to present a different side of taiwan cinema but also taiwan culture um again on this theme of sort of transformation and disruption but there's there's just so much in there i think that is it's i've just been talk, talking about this sort of thing with my students and that thing of like these film these are films that like open up areas of interest don't they like you see a bike the bicycles and you kind of want to go to google and go why was everyone riding a bike you see like a mosque and you go oh like muslim population of taiwan there's just all these sorts of things where it really like 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, yes. I I love a documentary like that. I mean, I, I don't mind the whole documentary which tells a story and is a bit fake and, and has given you information. I, I do think YouTube's kind of ruined that and it's made That's everybody true. able to do Everyone's Everyone can do that now. But yeah. these, these little sort of slice of life that, I mean, it's been restored, but they've kept the... You can still see the the real holes on one side yeah, of the yeah. screen, so it, it it just feels legitimately like I'm looking through someone's eyes from 1964. Yeah, it um, shows rather than tells. I think yeah. absolutely. There's no subtitles. There's no no card comes up telling you what to think about anything. It's just there, and I can draw out of it what I want to do, and hopefully other people will draw out of it what they want to do. Fingers crossed. And I've never been so passionate about 20 minutes of film. For it's, years. It's amazing. We need to get you on the marketing team. <laughs> that's, that's so good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, and, can quote, you can quote me on yeah, that. Yeah, if you want to have that life-changing experience, get yourself to the website. <laughs> get yourself to the okay. live showing in, in Edinburgh on the 27th of October. I, mean, yeah. I wish I could be there. But um, <laughs> talking about that, so we will tie up now. That, yes. you know, this is a big plug for your, yes. um, for your, for your um, festival, although... I think we've talked about a lot of other things as I know, well, yeah. um, which is fantastic. It's been a really good chat. Where can we find you? Yeah, so there's the Taiwan Film Festival Edinburgh uh, website, um, which I am currently blanking on the URL for. It's uh, uk. There we go. Um, that has the program that has links to kind of the digital platform when that goes live. Uh, so I think a lot of people who've been to digital festivals will probably be familiar with with those platforms um, and it's running from the 25th to the 31st of October so uh, once those dates hit you can go on watch them whenever you like there's no times um, and then in addition to the online screenings if you happen to be in the borders around in Scotland uh, we've got those two screenings in Glasgow um, so Sacred Forest is on the 25th Whale Island on the 30th at the GFT and you can get tickets through the GFT website for those um, and then we have our screening uh, and uh, on the 27th almost got there without fluffing the dates um, at Summer Hall in Edinburgh and that's the double bill of these documentary sort of home movie things A Morning in Taipei and the 8mm movies with and that has a live accompaniment in person there as well so if, if you're online or in Edinburgh or Glasgow hopefully you will be able to access and enjoy the festival yeah Hopefully the one person who listens to this podcast who listens yes. will go and see a morning in Taipei. And say hello. <laughs> yeah, say hello if you do. Say, say hello. We'll be there. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Fraser. It's been an absolute pleasure. Likewise. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having uh, me. I, you are, you're, a, you're a podcast virgin, but... Um, you've done brilliantly and i just yeah i just want to thank you for your time thank you for the festival hopefully there's another one next year I'll, I'll put the i'll put the links in the show notes that's brilliant thank you very much hope thank to um, talk to you again and good luck with the festival yeah thank you very much きのうのことは忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.